Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. We're dealing with oneness, Pentecostalism. And uh, one of the things that when you, when you are man-oriented, uh, one of the things that you need to realize is most of the cults don't go back to first century. Like they don't go back to the days of the Bible. Uh, in this particular cult that we're dealing with, oneness Pentecostalism, um, really Pentecostalism is rather a recent uh, development, um, creation of man uh, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, it began, oneness began with the formation of PAW in 1906, which is really the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, okay? Uh, that began in 1906. Uh, they put publishing together in 1915, The Voice of the Wilderness, um, and uh, the foundation was that Pentecostals organized, of course, they were looking for, um, they were looking for a feeling-oriented emotional experience. They were looking for a higher spiritual life uh, and uh, somebody was looking for something new. Uh, there's nothing new. Um, and something that nobody had ever seen before in the Bible. Uh, that's how all cults get started. They all get started by a deeper knowledge, a misinterpretation, a, a taking scriptures out of context and and uh, they get started with guys like, uh, in Mormonism, the visions that Joseph Smith had. Um, you know, it might seem to make things too simplistic this morning, but just an understanding of how to study the Word of God and just sticking to the Word of God is the safest way in life to go. And God made it so that we can understand it. And God made it so that we can believe it. And he made it with clarity in mind, not with confusion in mind. You understand God's not the author of confusion. And so uh, Pentecostalism begins. Um, and then in the midst of Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism beginning, um, and I'm not going through that whole, um, I'm going through the whole history of just Pentecostalism today, but a man by the name of Ari McAllister was a Canadian evangelist, and he exhorted during a baptismal service that the apostles baptized not in the triune formula, so to speak, that Matthew 28 gives us. By the way, I think it's pretty clear here. I don't know. Maybe you don't understand it, but I, I do understand it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost and McAllister, that evangelist uh, speaking back in those days um, decided to throw that out and uh, then another man by the john, name of john shep was so inspired by this exhortation that he spent the night in prayer he heard this he spent the night in prayer after hearing this and in the early morning, he ran through the camp where this was spoken, shouting that the Lord had shown him the truth on baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, 
Shep's revelation became the impetus for McAllister and Frank Ewart, a Pentecostal pastor at the camp meeting, to discuss Matthew 28:19 and Acts 2:38 in great detail. After studying these and other passages, Shep and his followers adopted an interpretation of the Godhead which made Jesus, instead of the Father, the one God, they went on to say Jesus became the Father, he became the Son when he came to earth, and he became the Holy Spirit. That you can't have one God and three persons. We believe in the doctrinal teaching at Mount Zion Baptist Church, which is the biblical teaching of the Trinity. One God manifest in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All the same in essence when we look at those God-like qualities, those infinite qualities, they're all omnipotent. They're all all-knowing. They're all omniscient. They're all everywhere present, omnipresent. They're all uh, eternal, all right? All three of them, in essence, are the same, but they are different in function. And uh, the roles that they uh, fulfill in our lives and in the world are clearly different, but they're all God. One God. And so uh, these early leaders of the Jesus-only movement within a short period of time had enough proselytes and churches to start new, de new denominations such as the United Pentecostal Church and the Church of Jesus Christ. They separated themselves from another part of the Pentecostal movement that were Trinitarians or they did believe in the Trinity um, with Within the new Pentecostal movement, Oneness Pentecostals felt a need to come together and form an association of churches of like precious faith. This led to the formation of the General Assembly of the Apostolic Assemblies uh, in Eureka Springs, Kansas in January of 1917, which merged with a second Oneness body by 1918, the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. Um, they began with 521 churches. This was no small movement. Um, and uh, uh, some today report a membership of the Oneness Pentecostal movement as a whole with the different organizations of over 5 million. Um, now understand some things about Pentecostalism before we get into oneness. Uh, Pentecostalism, uh, most people in Pentecostal circles would believe in a salvation by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. Um, many of them would struggle with assurance of salvation. Um, they would not believe in the eternal security of the believer, uh, many of them. And then they would believe in the second work of sanctification, or they call it the second blessing, where you're saved, and then at some point in time, and you're on, on this road of sanctification, you have a bump up. And it's a second blessing, or it's the second work of sanctification. And at that bump up, you speak in tongues. Right? So when we're dealing with Pentecostalism, who believe in the Trinity, most of them would believe in a salvation by faith like we do. They would deny the eternal security of the believer, so they would struggle with assurance. And then they would also believe that you somewhere bump up spiritually if you get the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is the speaking in tongues. We understand sanctification to be progressive. We are saved moment in time. All right? 
God convicts, He reproves of righteousness of sin and of judgment. The Holy Spirit does that. He draws us to our need of a Savior. We at a point in time, we have a new birth. We are born again. Uh, God does that. But we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We choose to make that decision of faith. And as a result, God completely saves us by the blood of Christ, forgives us of our sins. And we're saved moment in time. Salvation is not a process, my friend. If you're here and you're coming from a background of, well, I've just always kind of believed in God. I've kind of always been saved. That biblically can't be the case. I'm not here to attack you this morning. I'm here to say this, that the biblical testimony of salvation is a new birth. It is being born again. And it is confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved right there, right then. Hopefully you have that kind of testimony this morning. And if you don't, you need to be saved. From there, we are positionally sanctified, meaning that God positionally sets us apart unto Himself. He sets us apart from the world, and He sets us apart unto Himself. By the way, being in a Bible-believing local church is part of that. Because the word church, as we'll learn tonight, is called out from previous relationships with the world that we've had and called into a relationship with God and with His people in the local church. Uh, Called out assembly of baptized believers. So we're positionally sanctified unto the Lord. We're also justified. Justified means we're declared righteous. Justified means that we're seen by God as though we have never sinned. Justified is a judicial term, as if we're in a courtroom and Jesus goes to the judge and says, this person's innocent, and God says, you're right, this person's justified. Thank God for that, we're made righteous. We're sanctified, we're justified, we're redeemed, we're at the moment of salvation, we're bought back by Christ, we're bought out of the slave market of sin, we're bought out of the devil's family, he's no longer our father, but we have a new father. We have the Father in heaven. We are redeemed. We're justified. We're sanctified. Positionally, all that takes place at salvation. But then once we're saved, there is a sanctification process. Boy, that sanctification process sometimes seems like two steps forward and three steps backward. It's a war. When you got saved, probably nobody told you you're stepping into a war. (laughs) And it is a war. And so... Sanctification, the process of sanctification comes through the exposure to truth. The Bible says in John 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. So positionally, I'm set apart unto the Lord. But practically, I have to grow in my knowledge of truth. And watch this, the application of it, the obedience of it. The taking of what I learn and saying, God, your word's right. My life's not lined up with your word in this area. So, Lord, I'm willing to yield, change, conform, obey what your word says. And every time that we do that in our lives, we take a step in sanctification. That ought to be happening all the time. In a healthy Christian life, that ought to be happening all the time. You're in the Word of God on a daily basis. God reveals something. You purge something out of your life or you add something to your life and you're growing in sanctification. All right? Progressive sanctification all throughout this life 
Notice, God wants us to be progressing, not backsliding. It's horrible to the testimony of Christ when God saves, sanctifies, redeems, justifies, all right, saves you. You get on the road of sanctification, boy, people are saying, boy, God's changing them. Boy, God's doing something in their heart. And then you begin to backpedal. And no longer are you on the road of progressive sanctification. You're going backwards. Boy, dear Christian, you understand if you're not adding to your faith, you understand if you're not taking steps toward the Lord and toward being set apart unto the Lord, and you're not taking steps, watch this, away from the world, then you are not growing you are backslidden, which is a horrible testimony for the name of Christ. If you find yourself, as you evaluate your life this morning, in that condition, boy, it would be good to get back on the road of progressive sanctification. And you know how you do that? You do that by taking a step forward. You just do that by getting in truth again. And Lord, you spoke to my heart through this truth. And Lord, I'm going to begin to grow again. God, I'm going to get my heart in a place that it is responsive again to your word. And that's how progressive sanctification works for every believer. In the Pentecostal movement, progressive sanctification, here, progressive sanctification, Bible speaking is like this. Until someday we're either resurrected at the rapture or we're called up in the rapture. And guess what? At that point, it's perfect sanctification. At that point, boy, this war is over. At that point, I'm in a glorified body. I'm in a perfect heart. I'm with Jesus forever in a perfect place. My, oh, my, brother, we have a lot to look forward to when Jesus comes back. In this particular movement, uh, you have these key names. Uh, You have the World Pentecostal Camp Meeting. You have other notable names such as Lee Greenwood that would be tied in uh, with this movement. When we look at uh, oneness, one of the things that's different between oneness and regular Pentecostals is that oneness will bring in uh, tongues as necessary for salvation. Okay? That, so we have a heresy in Pentecostalism that says you're going to speak in tongues and somewhere you're going to bump up spiritually and have the second blessing and the second work of sanctification. Um, But we have a doctrine that will take people to hell in oneness that says, no, it's not part of sanctification. Actually speaking in tongues is part of salvation. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a fancy cover for a work salvation. All right? And so uh, buzz phrases within the oneness Pentecostal movement is the Jesus only terminology. Now, when we say Jesus only, we mean this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, Acts 4.12, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We believe that you can only be saved through the work of Christ on the cross. But what they believe by Jesus only is that there is not God the Father and there is not God the Holy Spirit. There is only Jesus. And that's an erroneous teaching uh, that they 
uh, use. Other phrases would include apostolic Pentecostals, the oneness movement, the Jesus name uh, movement. Um, uh, some of the statistics would go as high to say, if I can get my uh, PowerPoint here, uh, 5 million as of 2005, and then as of 2005, the UPCI, uh, which is the Universal Pentecostal uh, Church, uh, 3,800 churches. Now, folks, don't tell me this is an influence. This is a major player in our world today, what we're dealing with um, in the Pentecostal movement. By the way, the way you influence is you do what? You have Bible colleges. That's one way of influence. They have eight. And then you write. And they write a lot. These are all of their publications. All right? And so um, going back there, the Pentecostal Herald, the Global Witness, the Bible Way News, the People's Mouthpiece, the Contender for the Faith, Christian Outlook. You say, boy, preacher, I, you know, I've read one of those in the past, and I've gotten some good things out of it. Yeah, you can pick up a magazine, and it doesn't mean that everything in it is going to be false. Because the subtlety of Satan is put a lot of truth somewhere and then sprinkle a couple seeds of error. And uh, so it's good to know, it's good for you to know uh, their publications, these publications that uh, they put out. Uh, they also uh, have a number of educational institutions, and uh, these are colleges, institutes, um, really all over uh, our country and they're influencing students. And when they influence students, what are those students taking out into their churches and into their communities? False doctrine. Spreading false doctrine. And so uh, they have a very committed, uh, they're very committed to Texas Bible College. Notice this doesn't say oneness. We got people from independent Baptist churches today going on the internet wildly and just searching for a Bible college. Oh, there's a Bible college down in Texas. I think I'll check that one out. Uh, you understand things are hidden by the devil. Boy, he can portray things as an angel of light and it be utter darkness. And so uh, just some things to be alert of uh, as, you, as we study uh, oneness. Uh, churches that are oneness, these would be denominations, apostolic assemblies of Christ, Apostolic Assemblies of the Faith in Christ, Jesus. Um, apostolic Gospel Church of Christ, a lot of apostolic. You see that. Uh, you, you hear that buzzword, be aware, be aware. We're probably dealing with oneness, um, at least Pentecostal, but possibly oneness Pentecostal. Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, these are um, things that they, uh, uh, denominations that are out there today. Oneness Pentecostals of all branches affirm the authority of the Bible in doctrine. So if you were to look at their doctrinal statement and you were to look at the Bible, they would say the Bible's authoritative. Is that what you believe? Yeah. yeah. So again, what you're going to find is you'll find enough common ground to go, huh, yeah. I think we do pretty much believe the same. We believe the same about the Bible. Um, many, however, utilize only the King James. Wow. Work together. Boy, I'm looking for a church. I'm getting ready to move, you know, up apostolic. I mean, they're talking about 
the apostles and Baptists, that must be pretty similar. You know, we believe the same on the Bible. We believe the same even on the version of the Bible. Uh, in addition, though, many oneness advocates rely on the unbiblical revelations received by various oneness leaders whom they regard as divinely inspired or anointed interpreters of the Bible. Whoa! Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's a problem. You understand no preacher's inspired. No preacher in America, in the world, is inspired. Right? This book is inspired. These words are God-breathed. As long as preachers stick to this book, you can believe and follow. But they strand, stray away from the book. I get up here and I tell you, well, God told me this week in a vision. Your antennas better go up. Like, that's, that's trouble. Um, remember, one of the characteristics of a cult is new revelation. New revelation. We have finished revelation here. Okay? And so we don't need new revelation. You don't need me sharing visions. You know what you need me to do? You need me to pray. You need me to study the book. And you need me to share with you what's in the book. Amen. That's what you need from your preacher. You don't need me getting into all kinds of mystical interpretations and visions and all of those things. Uh, by the way... When they elevate a leader as divinely inspired, they make him as authoritative as the Scriptures. We no longer have one authority anymore. We have two authorities. Whatever God gives to the preacher separate from the Bible and then the Bible. Um, that's going to uh, lead to um, real big problems. Uh, just last slide here we'll give you and then uh, finish up. One God, no Trinity. They believe in baptismal regeneration, so they believe that baptism is a part of salvation. Tongues is a part of salvation. Uh, they believe um, in repentance as part of that. Well, we believe in repentance for salvation. Just take the tongues out, take the baptism out, and let's believe in faith and repentance. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Uh, Arminian theology, meaning you can lose your salvation, big part of Arminian theology, um, and... Um, no eternal security. So some of the things that they would cross over on uh, with the Pentecostals and some of the things they would be different from in a normal uh, Pentecostal. And so um, they, uh, these are the differences. This is what is being promoted. Um, if we go to slide number 11, here's what we believe about the Trinity. It's a simple uh, graphic. Uh, but uh, a helpful one. We believe that God the Father is God. We believe that God the Son is God. We believe that God the Holy Spirit is God. But the Son is not the Father. Neither is the Father the Holy Spirit. Neither is the Holy Spirit the Son. All are God, but they are not one another. They would take this and say, everything is the same. They're all Jesus. Right? and deny the doctrine of the Trinity. With those beliefs, we have problems. With those beliefs, they're worthy to be marked because they cause divisions to the doctrine that was once delivered to the saints. 
And so I urge you to stay away from them. I urge you when you're dealing with somebody. By the way, we had two people in the church this week deal with people that believe this. One called in, talked to Brother Jared about this particular teaching. Um, so you, you may think, well, preacher, I've never met anybody. Well, two people in the church met somebody this week that believed this stuff. And so know your doctrine of the Trinity. If we have more time, I'll take you through a number of other verses um, uh, but, and go through the verses that they misinterpret. But our time is up today. Let's bow. Thank you for joining us by way of the internet today. We're so glad that you were able to be with us, and we pray that the service was a blessing to your heart. Even though the sermon is over, our service is not over. At the end of our service, we give an opportunity for people to respond and come to an altar and pray over what God dealt with them about. Sometimes people come to call upon Christ and to be saved. Others come to make a decision for Christ regarding their Christian lives. Others come to call out to the Lord about special needs and situations in their lives. Maybe God has dealt with you today about some specific area of your life. I invite you to make an altar right there in your home, a quiet time before the Lord where you pray to Him and respond to Him about what He has spoken to you about. If you made a decision for the Lord today, we would be glad to hear about that decision and or answer any questions you have today about the message that was preached. You can contact us by way of email at info at mountziononline.org or by way of phone at 717-927-9227. Again, we thank you for joining us today and we look forward to you joining us again for our live stream weekly on Sundays at 1045 a.m. and on Sunday evenings at 645 p.m. If we can meet a need in your life, please do not hesitate to contact us. Thank you and God bless you.